Hagon, yes, it's um, Revelation chapter 4, um, which is on page 1030 of the ESV Bibles that are scattered around. So that's Revelation, the entirety of chapter 4, page 1030, entitled The Throne in Heaven. <clears throat> After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honour and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great, thank you, Brian. Well, do um, do keep that bit of the Bible open and be real help to me uh, that we can uh, see that as we work our way through it. But let's pray, shall we? We can't understand spiritual truth without the Holy Spirit. So let's pray that He would come and open the eyes of our hearts. Lord God, we do praise and thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that he walked this earth. He was fully human. Thank you also that he was fully and is fully God. And we praise you, Lord Jesus, that because you are the living one who died and is now raised to life, you are our teacher. This morning, we thank you and praise you that you have revealed these words to your apostle John through your angel so that we can read them and hear your voice, which is the voice of the Holy Spirit. So we pray, Lord God, that you would speak to each one of us, show us Jesus, and help us to live for him. Amen. Well, what do we think is beautiful? Maybe it's beautiful people. Beautiful music, beautiful symmetry, if we're more mathematically minded. 
beautiful buildings, beautiful scenery, the majesty of mountains, or the wild beauty of a storm. What do you, what do I think is beautiful? Is God beautiful? God is a spirit, an infinite and eternal spirit. So how can he be beautiful? Can we see his beauty? A, a related question which will come across in our passage. What do we think is holy? Are there holy places? Holy people? Is God holy? Do you want to be holy? Morally good, that is. Set apart like God, we know the answer ought to be yes, but as Augustine prayed, make be pure, but not yet. We tend to think holiness is, uh, forgive me if I'm, I'm um, being disrespectful to your dress sense, uh, sandals and socks. That's holiness, or monks and nuns, or eating porridge and dry bread, and doing what we have to do rather than what we want to do, because holiness is duty and drudgery and despotism. So it's no wonder nobody really wants to be holy, is it? Now, I hope what we will see, just to catch a little bit more of a glimpse of, is that God is beautiful in his holiness, infinitely desirable in his holiness, and this calls forth praise from those who see it. You see, we all see this partly in what Jesus reveals to us through our reading that we have just read. We've seen something of the worship of heaven, and I think this is one of the most important antidotes to the secularism that we live in, that toxic secularism that seeps into us. And I just want to say, I'm, I'm in danger of going off on a tangent here, so please test what I'm saying with what is written rather than what I've studied in my dissertation, because the danger is I just try and cram that in and twist the Bible. Please check that what I'm saying is coming from this passage. But in short, perception of beauty in our world we are told, are not real. They are just human perceptions of godless chaos. No, the Bible says, our perceptions of beauty are real and moral and reveal the future to us, God's future. See, everyone who encounters the divine beauty of creation in whatever way encounters something of God and therefore is without excuse for worshipping things that are not God. As Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says, for his invisible attributes, that's God's, <coughs> God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, those who worship other things, which is all of us, according to Romans 1. Now, forgive me if you've just sort of landed in our series in the book of Revelation. We've seen 
that the risen Christ says to the churches in, in chapters 2 and 3 that the seven churches of modern-day Turkey, what he wants them to repent of, how he wants them to live, to conquer, to be in the new creation. And this is what the Spirit is saying to the churches of the first century, about 95, 96 AD, and is saying to the, the church throughout the whole of history. It's what the Spirit is saying today to you and me in the church. And then in chapters 4 and 5, we're taken into heaven by this vision of John, uh, which is a bridge into chapters 6 to 11, where we come across seven seals and seven trumpets, which are the seven... Oh, it's a, a picture of... Jesus' perfect sovereignty over history. Anyway, chapters 4 and 5 emphasize that God and Jesus Christ are sovereign over creation and over redemption. There is a throne, and there's a lamb who was slain, and so they are to be worshipped. What do we learn from chapter 4, though? Two things. Firstly, see. See. We, we each of us need to see what is real. What is real, the sovereign creator and redeemer is beautiful like his new creation. The sovereign creator and redeemer is beautiful like his new creation. Let's pick it up in verse 1. After this I looked, and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which is the voice of Jesus which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said come up here and I will show you what must take place after this now I'll come back uh, later to consider the, the timing of things but Jesus is saying to John I'll, I'll show you what is going to happen and we're taken to a vision of the end the consummation of all things and John says, at once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Here is the ruler of heaven, the king of heaven, the one in authority, the sovereign who is in control of all things. He's seated. His rule is completed. God is in control of all things. And this ruler is beautiful. Now, we might miss this. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. I didn't even know what Jasper and Carnelian looked like. But I presume the original readers would have known. They are red and orange precious stones. And it's not saying that that is what God looks like. We should know, shouldn't we, that Revelation uses metaphor and imagery to try and communicate something that we otherwise wouldn't understand. He's saying, God is beautiful, like a precious stone. Yes, God is spirit. The Bible is clear that he cannot be seen and we cannot see him and live. And yet here John is shown an appearance of what God is like as a deep and beautiful color. Not because God has color, but so we can understand him. Uh, the theologian John Calvin put it like this, that God speaks to us in baby language so we can understand. He uses language that we can understand. He's far higher 
than any representation or appearance, but he wants us to understand that God and the place he dwells, the place he beautifies, is full of the most valuable, beautiful things we could imagine. Precious stones, gates made of pearls, streets of gold, diamonds, sapphires, pearls, gold, platinum. All those things leave me a bit cold because they're usually very expensive and I can't afford them. So why would we be interested? No, the point is that these are symbols of beauty and value and preciousness Something that draws our hearts. It's not possible to see something beautiful and precious and remain unmoved, whatever our culture says. God is beautiful and his rule, his throne, he himself is beautiful if we had eyes to see. See, that God is sovereign because he is creator, is a beautiful and desirable thing. His rule should thrill our hearts, open our mouths in praise and adoration. If we see this by the Spirit as John did, we are to see that God himself is beautiful and his rule is beautiful. Surely this is an antidote to our culture's view of God as a despot who demands duty, who has standards of goodness that are so high we are perpetually failing him such that he is perpetually disappointed in us. That is not what is pictured here. God is beautiful. And then round the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald, we read. So what's the rainbow about? Well, it's a symbol of God's promise, his covenant love, the covenant that he made with Noah after the judgment was over. And this faithful promise-making aspect of God, his faithful love, is beautiful. It's like an emerald. Precious. It draws our hearts. I know for some of us, there's tensions in the place of work that we might have. Every time we see a rainbow flag, it's, oh, it's just complicated. Or rainbow lanyard. Well, be reminded when you see the rainbow of the faithful love of God, that is what it will mean in eternity. Precious, beautiful love of God that finds its end point in the new creation. We've already come across hints of the new creation, haven't we, in the letters to the churches. Just flip back over the page to... Uh, See this, so chapter 2, verse 10. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. That's the new creation. Uh, 3, verse 11. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. We're going to see what's going to happen to the crowns in a minute. This is the new creation. The white garments of chapter 3, verse 5. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. The new Jerusalem of chapter 3, verse 12. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Those who conquer are heading to the new creation. And this is a vision of the new creation, the, the beautiful final consummation of all that God has done in creation, now fully realized. 
And what do the saints do? Verse 4. Well, round the throne were 24 thrones. They rule. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. This is a symbol of the, the church, the 12 tribes of the Old Testament, the 12 apostles of the New. All the saints gathered around the throne. We'll see this again in the book of Revelation. And they're there in heavenly glory, and they're led in their worship by heavenly creatures fit for purpose. What do these creatures have? Verse 6, on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes. In front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle. These are like creation, and yet they're in heaven, and they see the beauty of God, and the four living creatures, verse 8, each of them with six wings are full of eyes all round and within. They see perfectly. See, our goal as believers is to be part of that heavenly worship where we see fully and perfectly and are led by creatures who see fully and perfectly the uninterrupted beauty of God. That's where we're going. So what do you think is beautiful? Maybe you're really into technology. You know, the next iPhone is, is starting to catch your heart. I'm more of an Android person myself, but you know, go for it. Go for it, that's fine. Or you've seen the ad for your next holiday and your heart leaps. Or your heart is captured by some home improvements that you're planning. Or the, by the home you would really like. Or the beauty of the man or woman who captures your heart. Or you would like to capture your heart. Yet when you buy the phone, or you go on the holiday, or you get the home, or you get married, it never quite lives up to expectation, does it? Why? C.S. Lewis wrote these words, which I think are very helpful, about our experiences of beauty in this life, our desires for beautiful people, things, homes, cars, holidays. If I find in myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. We are made, in fact, the whole of creation and all its beauty is made for another world. All the beauties we encounter have their origin in God as the fountain of all beauty and are going to God and that final world where creation is flawlessly beautiful and flawlessly precious because God is everywhere and in all things in a new way, a new creation, and his being is moral beauty. You see, beauty is not just in the eye of the holder, it's in the being of the creator. That's where all beauty comes from, it's where all beauty is going. Will you be there in that world? Don't settle for small beauties of this world. 
And you see, the heavenly creatures see this beauty fully and without obstruction in the very presence of God. And when they see this beauty, the beauty of God in the new creation, the redeemed church gathered around God, they see. And what do they say? In this beautiful place, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and who is to come. God's holiness is the most beautiful thing you will ever come across. The response of the creatures designed for worship as they see God's beauty is holy, 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 perfect holiness. God is completely different to us. He's the sovereign creator and redeemer of the world. And the new creation where all Christians are heading is the most beautiful, holy place. I don't think like that. Do you think like that? Do you think holiness, beauty? Do you think holiness, Whatever you think is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen or could ever experience, that's what holiness is. See, worship is seeing the beauty of God's holiness. Seeing the beauty of his otherness, that he is the I am that I am, the one who was and is and who is to come, the creator of all things, the redeemer of all things except those people who refuse to worship him. Those beings that refuse to worship him. And so our second point is the Holy Creator and Redeemer is worthy of ceaseless worship. So worship him in speech. Worship him. That is the right response to this holy and beautiful God. See, what do the heavenly creatures... I'm I'm trying to labor this because I think it's so far away from where we, I, the Western church is. They see the beauty of God, and what do they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, the eternal one, the creator. They're they're echoing the vision of Isaiah chapter 6, aren't they? God is perfectly holy. What does the word holy mean? It was a combination of different ideas, I think we'd have to say, biblically, chief of which is separate. God is entirely other to us. He's different, set apart. That means he's weighty, substantial. The creation has a beginning, he does not. The creation is dependent on him. He depends on no one and nothing. God is the Almighty One who has all power, the One who reigns on a throne, the Lord who controls all things, the self-existent One who was and who is and who is to come. And so He is infinite goodness and purity and love. And because of this idea of holiness being purity with which we cannot dwell because we are sinful and evil, some of the imagery here is the imagery of Mount Sinai, isn't it? From the throne came flashes of lightning, verse 5, and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal where the elders in Exodus ate and drank with God. See, as we've seen, this holiness is beautiful, but it's also frightful. Awesome in the right 
sense of that word. So we are to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, as the Psalms say. As the living creatures lead the elders in doing, how do they worship? Verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. Even though they're perfect, perfected saints in heaven, they see the holiness and the beauty of this one and they're on their faces. It's an emptying of pride and position before the one who is higher. So the elders take off their crowns and they throw them down before him and they proscuneo, they bow down, they do this. Even in the perfection of heaven. Now, if I would do that, if we were to do that in church, people would think we changed religions, wouldn't they? Which is a bit sad. But in the ancient Near East, that's what it meant. That's what you did. That's what, do you remember the woman who came to Jesus and wept over her sin and dried, wept over Jesus' feet and dried them with her hair? That's what she did. She proscuneered, she bowed down in worship, kissing the feet. That's what worship was and is, will be forever and ever. But we might say, well, you know, I do this in my heart when we gather. You know, I, I am doing that in my heart. And that, that's fine. You know, it's the most important thing to, to do is to set apart Jesus as Lord of our hearts, in our hearts. He is Lord. I worship him. I obey him. I worship him. But in Scripture, there is a connection between our souls and bodies. What we do with our bodies matters. How might we do this? I don't know. I'm not about to suggest we all get down on, on our knees. But have we ever done that? On our own, before the Lord, bowed on our knees with our hands, Lord, I worship you, I'm, I'm nothing without you, you are all. Earth has nothing I desire apart from you, Lord. You are so beautiful and so glorious and so holy. Without you, I am nothing. I cast any kind of self-exaltation and pride before you. You are the I am that I am. Worthy are you, O Lord and my God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And me and everything I see... Everything that exists only exists because you want it to, Lord. See, our culture objects to this view of God, doesn't it, by pointing to suffering, to death, to famine, to wars, to environmental catastrophe, to religious hypocrisy. You'll find them all in the book of Revelation. People being executed for their faith, the synagogue of Satan, people suffering so much that they beg for death, but they cannot die See, the vision of God we have in the book of Revelation is not an escape from the world of reality. It's what's important in the world of reality. God and his sovereign power 
and worship of him, proskuneo, falling down before him, is what determines our eternal destiny. Do we worship him? Now, I know as a church we are convinced that our worship of him is a 24-7 thing. Uh, yeah, that, that's absolutely right. That's what the New Testament teaches. But when we gather in gathered worship, we gather here, in heaven, the communion of the saints. And did we notice how the creatures and the glorified saints worship God in chapter 4? And this is a small point, but I think it's worth make, making just as, I, just as I close. They use liturgy. Huh. Verse 8. Day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy. See, when people encounter beauty, the first reaction is often to say something, isn't it? Oh, that tastes amazing. Wow, what a sunset. Oh, you look gorgeous. Heaven is full of said words that we call liturgy. So we need to move past that experience of deadly dull liturgy that we've all, we've all had, haven't we? I don't know, it might have been school, might have been church, sadly. Oh, we've just got to get through this. Oh, this is holy. Just say the words. No. Liturgy comes straight from heaven. It is emotional, expressing our whole beings together as we join in heaven's worship, saying wonderful words, either metaphorically or actually on our faces. There's lots more to be said about biblical... Um, use of the body in, in, in prayer and worship is far broader than we tend to make it, whether it's lifting up our hands or on our, prostrate on our faces, maybe a subject for another sermon. But next time your heart is thrilled by something beautiful, which I presume will happen this week, hopefully, respond with words of praise to God. We could even memorize these words, couldn't we? We're going to say them in a minute, so make sure you have a Bible open, because I thought it would be good just to finish joining in with heaven's praise of the beautiful Holy Creator in these words. But how do we apply this into our lives? Well, maybe memorize some of these words. Or just say some words out loud in praise to God. We're so affected by our culture which says the emotions need to be right and we need to sing it. Now, that's not, that's not wrong. That's good. It's, that's in heaven as well. But let's all be those who join in with heaven's praise to the beautiful Holy Creator saying words on our own, but also together. Let's stand and say these words together. We're going to say the, the words in quotes joining in with heaven's liturgy. Please don't feel you have to say this, but I want to encourage you, if you don't know God, if you're not a worshipper of the Creator God, please get right with God so that you can say these words from your heart. But let's see these, say these words together. So first, the words from verse 8. With emotion and praise to God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, Almighty, 
who was and is and is to come. And then verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Amen.